Welcome to NAC Chat, the National Arts Club podcast. The National Arts Club is a members club and arts nonprofit whose mission is to stimulate, foster, and promote public interest in the arts and educate the American public in the fine arts. It was founded in 1898 by Charles Decay, the head theatre critic for the New York Times. Club members have included such figures as Eleanor Roosevelt, Alfred Stieglitz, Stanford White, Will Barnett, Salman Rushdie, and Amanda Palmer. Today, our 16 arts committees present speakers and performers who share their work in fields such as fine arts, film, architecture, fashion, literature, and many more. This podcast will give an inside look to the happenings at the National Arts Club with interviewers who have worked with various committees to bring you some of the best the club has to offer. All our events are free and open to the public. You are welcome to join us at the Samuel Tilden Mansion on Gramercy Park, where the club has resided since 1906. For more information, including our calendar of events, visit our website, nationalartsclub.org, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at, of course, National Arts Club. And now, welcome to NAC Chat. David Zyla, Emmy Award-winning costume designer and author of The Color of Style, Color Your Style, and How to Win at Shopping. Welcome, and thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. Um, David, this, today I wanted to talk to you a little bit about a career in style, in design, in color, and help our audiences know a little bit more about a world that we kind of all know exists, we're reminded of maybe around the award seasons, but often we don't think about it as actually being such an active everyday part of our lives and the world we see around us. So one of the things is lots of people like to think about you know, how they would style themselves, but it's a big step to start thinking about how to style others. How did you get into styling? Oh gosh, um, well, first of all, uh, I believe, I would like to tell all the people, uh, everyone who's ever thought about this, uh, that everyone has the right to look and feel fantastic. And I feel that color and fashion and style are the tools to help them with that. Uh, so my career started at the tender age of five. Uh, my parents were getting ready for a party and my mother had two necklaces out next to a dress. And I said, mother, wear that one. Or probably it was mom. It wasn't mother. <laughs> I, I didn't. I grew up in upstate New York, so uh, we say mom there. And uh, and I picked out the necklace for her. And then my father came home, and he was getting ready. And I said, "You should wear that tie." And it was a, a patterned tie. And he was wearing a very small patterned shirt. And he said, "You can mix patterns." And I said, "Of course." At age <laughs> five again, about a, less than a year later, my parents had enrolled me like in art classes on Saturday because <laughs> they felt that I sort of needed an outlet for all of this creativity and not just on them. Uh, I was also very fortunate in that I uh, had a grandfather who was a part-time illustrator. Uh, my aunt was an uh, a amateur artist. Um, so I had a lot of exposure to design and, uh, and also a lot of culture as well. Uh, I went to NYU and studied costume design. And uh, while I was at school, I would design a lot of student shows, and my teachers would come to the shows, and you know, I of course ask them afterward what they thought of my work, because that's what you you want to get some feedback, and. Uh, they would say things like, well, why did you put her in the peach-colored dress? And why did you put him in that blue shirt? 
and I, I would say to them, well, I don't know. It's just right. And, and I asked them if they thought it was a mistake. And they said, no, you just should know the why for what you're doing. And it, I, that, that was, I, I didn't have the answer for it then, but it, it's something that stayed with me. And then about a year out of school, um, I met a woman whose life was all about color. Uh, she was a color analyst. Uh, at the time, she was probably in her late 80s. Uh, and I met her. And I remember the evening that I met her because I got home and I could not go to sleep Mm -hmm. because I thought there can be context around color and an individual. Um, You know, if we all looked great in the same colors and styles, we wouldn't have this thing called fashion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We would have in the middle of each town a a little uh, concession in the village green where we got our outfit every season in our size. Uh, We wouldn't have all this variety and so on. So um, anyway, so I wanted to learn more. And so I started uh, taking every class I could in color and art history beyond what I had studied at school. Uh, Simultaneously with that, uh, my first job in the fashion industry, if you will, was doing windows on Madison Avenue. And I remember uh, walking up and down the avenue in my best outfit, handing out resumes, and a few people on the spot said, oh, we actually need someone. How much do you want to charge? And I said, how much do you want to pay me? (laughs) And uh, I had this little career there, and... It was through a shop there that uh, a client came in one day and she said, I just want to say I love your windows. And they said, oh, do you know our our window designer, Boba? And they started talking about me. And they said, he's a costume uh, designer. And the woman said, oh, I'm going to a Victorian ball in a week. Maybe he could design a dress for me. (laughs) In one week. In one week. (laughs) And of course, you know, I'm... 21 years old, I'll do anything, right? And I still will. Uh, I haven't learned. But uh, so I, uh, I literally put this gown together in a week, and she was thrilled, brought in pictures, and the people at the shop said, we love your work. If you put a line together, we would carry it. <gasps> and I thought, okay, <laughs> why not? So I had a friend working in the hosiery buying office at Bergdorf Goodman. That doesn't exist anymore. There's no hosiery <laughs> department. And I said to her, I said, what are these, thing called, these things called terms? And what are these, um, what are standard sizes? I didn't know anything about the fashion world at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was helpful and she connected me with some friends. Uh, a friend of mine worked at a magazine at the time and I got to see a few editors And um, anyway, I put together this uh, small collection and I thought, well, I can't make any money selling to one shop on Madison Ave. And and I thought, well, Henry Bendel does that open sea once a month where they look at new vendors. Mm -hmm. And so I walked my line in at 8.30 in the morning, waited until 5.30 that night. There was hundreds of people. And at the end of the day, I was the last one to be seen. I'm so used to that with the last name of Xyla. It's always last. But I always want the box around it and David's out, right? Um, and so I was the last one to be seen. And the buyer said, oh, of course. Yeah, we want this collection. X number of this, X number of that. And I, real, I realized, wow, like I, I now have a, another store besides the boutique. And then within two years, I also... Um, I finally got the buyer from Bergdorf Goodman to come, and she placed an order of about 300 pieces on the spot 
Um, that must have was, been. It was a day. <laughs> she looked me straight in the eye and said, you don't have the money to produce this, do you? And I said, well, I, um, and she said, I know you don't. She said, I'm going to get you half up front. I'm also going to get you in the catalog. If you don't deliver dresses that look like this, that fit like this, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and so upon pain of death, <laughs> I, I got that. And so it, during that time, uh, a lot of my dresses would be worn by, uh, would be used actually on television shows. So costume designers would shop retail and I, I'd see my things pop up and I thought, well, I'm going to reach out to the costume designers directly because that's a great uh, way of getting exposure. It's also a great way of, um, you know, adding some sales as well. So I... Uh, contacted some costume designers, and my things were being used. And around that same time, uh, Hillary Clinton's uh, uh, person contacted me, and I dressed her for her trip to China and Japan, which was amazing. And uh, so it was the one day I got a call from the costume designers at a General Hospital in Port Charles on ABC, and they said, we are leaving the show. And we thought about it, who we would recommend to replace us. And we think you would be great. And we mentioned you to the producers. They've been looking at your work for years. And you have that, you know, the background of costume, meaning you can outfit a character, but also you have the fashion, the Seventh Avenue stuff. And we want it to be very current and so on. So I met with them and, and fast forward, um, I designed Port Charles for a couple of years, General Hospital and then uh, all my children for eight and a half years <laughs> between New York and L.A. and a, a Broadway show and some off-Broadway stuff in the middle. Um, and I, I will share that, uh, and then I did uh, Devious Maids also for Lifetime. But in the middle of doing all my children, um, it was really the volume that we were dealing with. So when you were designing a one-hour soap opera, you're putting together, I, I tracked this one year, you're putting together 2,100 head-to-toe looks. That's not the extras or the cops or EMTs in the background. That's literally characters. And when you're doing that volume, you have to get quick and, I would say, efficient with your choices. You know, because you don't have, a, you know, everything's quick. You might get casting on a Thursday at 4 and the fitting may be 24 hours later, and they're on camera two hours after that. So the, the, all of this training got me, uh, if I go back to the idea of, you know, what colors and styles look good on each individual, this really helped me. You know, it got me quicker and more efficient with this. And around the same time, I was actually here at the National Arts Club at a party, and I ran into a friend from NYU who asked me what I was up to. And I said, oh, I'm designing all my children and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I said, and I'm finally ready to write my book. And he said, what is your book about? And I said, well, it's about color and, you know, looking to our own bodies, our eyes, hair, and skin for the colors that really illuminate us and looking at the shape of our chin for our neckline and so on and so forth. And he said, that sounds amazing. I have a friend who's an agent. You should meet her. <laughs> Now, the truth is, now that I'm published and we've done a few editions of it, 
I can reveal at that time I had four pages of this book written, but I knew how to write it. You know, that much I did know. Um, so anyway, I was really fortunate to put my theories out there. My theories are that, you know, if you look at your eyes, hair, and skin, it's really a map to what looks best on you. Um, and my idea is that everyone is the subject of a great portrait painting. So if you just illuminate what's there, you are you have more presence. You're more authentic. So if uh, if Mona Lisa were painted in front of neon orange, we wouldn't notice her. Um, we'd say, oh, great color, and why is that woman standing in front of that weird wall? Um, it, it just so the idea is the the colors from your eyes, hair, and skin really, if you pull them out, they really illuminate you. So I was very fortunate to get that book out, um, and that's really uh, how would I say changed so much of what I do. Of course. Um, and then I followed it up with a book on shopping, uh, how to win at shopping as well, as you mentioned earlier. Um, so, I mean, thank you so much for that nice overview of all the different twists and turns that this career has taken. I think it's, uh, it's always amazing when one gets a chance to, even within a year, take a look back at sort of the roads we've traveled to do some of the amazing things we've done. But... I think one of the things that I am always sort of curious about is how, how do you understand the difference between costume design and fashion design? Mm -hmm. Because there's the part of it where you wake up in the morning and you're like, who do I want to be today? Mm -hmm. Which feels mm -hmm. like costuming, right? Yeah. And then there's this idea of fashion design that seems somehow different from that but related and having worked in both fields, when you, how can you distinguish when someone is wearing a costume and when they're wearing a fashion? Well, that's really interesting because I do, um, in my book, I do talk about using colors for and styles for specific um, occasions, you know, what to wear to a job interview, a wedding, etc. cetera. Um, so I do think that within yeah. our own uh, palette uh, that we uh, dress accord. We can dress accordingly. We can kind of like uh, do versions of our best self. Um, I do feel that there are two differences. Costume design is. Um, I look at it as a merging of an actor and a role that is written by a writer. I think that the designer's job in good costume design is to help tell the story and to help empower the actor telling the story. Mm -hmm. I think it's two. Some will say it's just serving the writing. Mm -hmm. I think that you have to do both. Um, I think also with fashion design, you know, when someone says, oh, I'm a real fashionista or I'm a real follower of fashion, you know, that person is, is typically following fashion for fashion's sake and wearing it for fashion's sake. And I think that when I hear that, like, it, it, let's say you have, a, you know, uh, someone behind a curtain saying, I'm a real fashionista, I could probably describe how they're dressed um, and what their closet looks like mm -hmm. and how fickle they are in terms of, like, recycling and so on, um, because I feel that they're probably wearing 
fashion for fashion's sake, meaning this is the latest thing. I'm going to get attention for carrying that. Mm -hmm. And I think the idea with um, dressing ourselves, you know, taking fashion and dressing us for the role we live. So I believe that if you are dressing yourself as your best version of yourself, you are using fashion to costume yourself. So I think I think they merge, but I think that if you are just following fashion, you're carrying that it bag because it's the it bag and you're getting attention for that as opposed to wearing something that really harmonizes with you and empowers you. Mm -hmm. um, so I think there's a difference. I think that the, I think there's a difference if they're in their pure form. I think if you're wearing a costume, it shows, meaning it's something that's really not part of you. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you are, and I think typically that is when you're wearing fashion for fashion's sake. One of the things that you just mentioned was the way someone can use color to differentiate a certain type of event in their life. Maybe we can move into the conversation around color now and you can explain what you mean by that. Because on one hand, I want to say, oh, that's so obvious, right? I would never <laughs> wear red, but I might wear a red dress to a gala. Right. But to you, what does it mean when you suggest the notion that there are colors for certain types of events? Well, I think that um, we each have a color, as I mentioned earlier, we each have a color palette. Um, and so if we look carefully at our eyes, hair, and skin, we can see the colors that are part of us. And so in my book, I uh, talk about how each color comes from a different place. So for instance, we all have a version of black and it's the ring around the iris. Um, and that's typically a woman's favorite eyeliner color in her makeup bag. Uh, mine is olive green, but you know one could have navy or charcoal. It's, it's usually a, you know it's a dark neutral, um, but that is their version of black. And so that would be worn for uh, maybe a funeral or or somewhere where it's very formal and more somber. Um, I believe that we have a red, we each have a version of red, uh, and that comes from pinching our fingertip, uh, and that is our romantic color or sexy color. And a great exercise to find this is if you uh, put your thumb underneath uh, the pat, the bottom of the pad of a finger, and just pinch so that you get some blood under there, um, and go to a lipstick counter and hold that next to lipsticks you're going to find your version of red. And it's going to be a, could be a pink, it could be a maroon, it could be an orange, um, you know, it could be a whole range there. Um, I, and that color is great for like date night. Mm -hmm. um, that would be, you know, the quote unquote red dress entrance. Uh, it's also great for athletic wear. Uh, there's another color that comes actually from the vein in the wrist. Um, and it's going to be a blue, green, or purple, and that is your dramatic color, and that's the look at me color. I always say to actors, if they're going to like an open call or an audition where there's you know hundreds of people are being seen, wear that color because it really says kapow, notice me. Um, you know, and then there are colors that come from the hair as well. But there are about ten groups of colors, and my idea is that you personalize. Like so, the idea of oh, well, job interview, wear navy. I don't believe that. I don't believe that there are any universal colors that look good on us. But if you want to wear a dark neutral to be very formal at that job interview, I would say take a look at the ring around your iris and wear that color. Amazing. 
Um, that, that really worked because I did it as you were talking. Oh, good. <laughs> Excellent. Um, so what are, how, or rather, you phrase, how do you help someone shift into color? Living in New York, so many of us, myself included, tend to gravitate towards black, gray, neutrals. How do you begin to move someone into their palette? Even if they've come to you, obviously interested in it because that's what would contact you, it's, it's intimidating to start suddenly wearing color, even gentle colors. Well, you know, it's funny. I, I have a, a great story to share with you, um, and I call her the lady in black, and she was always in black, head to toe, beautiful black clothes, absolutely gorgeous. Didn't really illuminate her, though. And a friend of hers said, you have to see David. And I, apparently it took two years to get her to actually pick up the phone and call me. And because the friend was just tired of seeing her in black and knew that there was something else out there for her. This woman had worked in film production her entire life. And every mentor she had wore black. Everyone in the control room, you know, wore black. All the PAs wore black. It was just a, unif- a self-imposed uniform by a certain group of people. And she came to me and I did her palette and she did not have black on her palette. She had all sorts of beautiful natural colors like, um, I think there was like a leafy green, there was like a chocolate brown, a rust, all these beautiful autumnal colors. And she was, it was, it, it was, how would I say, a, uh, a stretch for her. I knew she was not going to go out shopping the next day. She was totally open to it. She saw where the colors came from. But I think that she knew that there was going to be a little adjustment period. She called me less than a week later and said, everything you've told me is spot on. Thank you so much. And told me this great story of... She was going to a meeting, and she was in her black outfit, and she passed a mirror on the way out the door. And her husband said, oh, I was curious what you'd wear today. It was a joke between them. And he laughed, and under his breath said, black. And she really looked at herself in the mirror. It made her stop, and she looked in the mirror, and she said, I can't go out like this. And she went upstairs and found the one non-black piece of clothing she had. And it was a green sweater that she had bought on a beach vacation the year before in a bottom drawer. And she put it on, and then she found that her children had given her a little handkerchief for Mother's Day that was all green and these little leaves and embroidery. And she took it and made a neckerchief with it. Left, got to the meeting, and everyone at the meeting said, what did you do? You look amazing. And that's all she needed. So, so I'm telling you that story because it's an adjustment. Because if you look at your closet and say, my closet should be a reflection of me. And if your closet right now is all black and all of a sudden someone tells you, oh no, it's chocolate and rust and olive and so on, that's a, that's a leap. Even if you know it's right. There's, I think there's, um, there's this, uh, paralysis of going, well, what do I do first? And so on. Um, and I, I really like, I do help all my clients with that process. Um, because I believe that, you know, that's, that's tough. If you have one, you know, uh, identity and clothing and then, and yet you some, the reason you came to me though, is that 
you know that somehow it's not quite right, Mm -hmm. you know, but it is, there's a, so I would say baby steps, like, um, a scarf in a color is a great way to try it out without a commitment of a whole dress or a coat, um, jewelry in the colors, great way to start. Um, I even say to my clients, you know, uh, an iPhone cover or, you know, a decorative accessory is a great way to start as well to just surround yourself with that color. But one of the things that I know is that you also work with men. And I think that men, in many ways, have an even more challenging time time than all of the women who are prone to adopting black. Because though women can wear color, there are still cultural restrictions, it feels like, around a lot of what we expect men to wear. Navy suits, charcoal suits, the light blue shirt, maybe a pink shirt. But when you start getting into patterns and bright colors, it starts to be so so much of a statement for a man. How, and how do you work with men who are interested in no longer just simply being the navy suit guy, but are also particularly intimidated by the type of reactions they might get? You know, it's interesting because I, I do have a, a, a several male clients and... I would say that the, uh, the interesting thing is, well, well let's start with this. Um, so men and women, there's, there's one overall difference, and this is in every woman and it's not every man, but generally speaking, men are buyers, meaning tell me what to buy, tell me it looks good, okay. Women are more experiential and they're more like shoppers, hmm. meaning they're like, well, how does it feel? Or I don't like if I re- tie it this way, does it look good? You know, it's more experiential. And we can look at the way fashion is marketed um, to really prove that. So if you're looking for a man's dress shirt, it's in the men's dress shirt department. Mm-hmm. If you want a pencil skirt, I hope you have a couple of hours to spare because they're going to be sprinkled throughout. Yeah with um, all sorts of different uh, items to pair with them uh, to help you become the bohemian or the sophisticate or whoever you want to be. But there just is no, you know, pencil skirt section. (laughs) So that said, what I find is the male clients that I work with are extremely open to like doing whatever uh, they can to have the best wardrobe possible. Um, And so, yes, I do believe that, you know, there are some men's stores where there isn't anything beyond a black, gray, or a navy suit. Um, And my feeling is, well, we dig a little deeper and go to other resources where we can find a chocolate brown suit Mm -hmm. um, with a little texture in it, maybe. Uh, And my, you know, right now we are so fortunate because with the internet, we can literally find anything. Um, it's not like, you know, how it used to be. It, we were, our, our fashion was contingent upon what was in our stores that we could walk to or drive to. Uh, and now we have the world. Um, I think it makes shopping even harder, but that's a whole other conversation because there are so many choices. But I feel that, you know, I, I find that, you know, working with men, uh, I, we can find the resources. They're out there. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just it's digging a little deeper. Do you find that there are some notable style shifts people make or need to make when they're moving um, from the United States to continental Europe to Asia 
Do you find that there are color differentials that need to be highlighted for your clientele and audiences in general? You know, I have uh, clients that have moved around the world a bit, and it's interesting because in some places, certain colors have very strong meaning. I mean, here in the U.S., you know what? Everything goes here. Anything goes. Everything and anything. It's um, We don't really have the... Uh, the color associations that some other cultures have, um, or to the degree, I should say. Um, And I have heard from clients how when they lived in this particular country for a few years, they may have avoided the one color on their palette just because of the cultural meanings of it and wanting to be respectful. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, no, I I, I think it's, uh, you know, yeah, that's what they... We now are in a global society and all colors work around the world. I think so. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny. If we looked at right now, if we looked at five fashion shows and I said to you, okay, Charlotte, which one was in Paris? Which one was in Milan? Which one was New York? I don't think you or I would be able to tell because it's so global. You know, 20 years ago, London Fashion Week looked very different from Paris and very different from New York. And we just, we have such, um, such a blending of culture and design around the world. It's very exciting. Um, and, and also at the same time, I, you know, it, it gives so many choices to us as to what we could wear. One of the last questions I wanted a chance to get to ask you is if there is one thing you find you tell everyone, almost always, there must be one thing every time you meet with someone, you think, oh, here I go again, having to tell the same, the same idea or the same color story or the same concept. What do you think, what is that story that seems to be recurring that everyone needs to know that they haven't thought about I think that, you know, as I said earlier, I I truly believe that everyone deserves to look and feel their best. I I believe, you know, when when people ask me what I do, you know, sometimes they'll say, oh, you shop with people. And I say, well, that's part of it. But I I think if I were to boil down what I do, it's really all about empowerment. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what I say to people is that, you know, the thing that keeps coming up actually is how singular they are, each person, you know, and that they're not their sister, they're not their mother, they're not their best friend, they're them. And my idea is be the best version of you. You know, when when I hear uh, people say, oh, I bought this because such and such celebrity wore it, my feeling is, well, okay, it looks a certain way on them, you're not that person. Why not look at yourself as a style icon mm-hmm. and and buy something that empowers you as opposed to being like a facsimile of someone else? And so my idea is I'm always uh, chatting and, and, and really pushing the point of real empowerment. And, and that comes from authenticity. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like you do a lot of work with people. Uh, and to try I love and help it. them find <laughs> how to move on. And I'm sitting here in all gray and black today. And so I, I am definitely going to need to think about color. Um, the last question that we've been asking all of our speakers is, 
If you could pick any artwork across time, and by artwork, I mean of all the arts, sonata, dress, painting, to be, to be who you are, Hmm. what would it be? It's not, I can't choose a tree. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's a that's on a date, right? Yeah, sorry. This is a different thing. Sorry. Um, <laughs> well, it's really interesting because I, I I have to boil it down. So I'm very attracted personally to the color palettes of Toulouse-Lautrec. Mm. Um, the dissonance of putting, you know, tangerine and jade together and, and colors like that. But I would say the... The most arresting, oh gosh, there are a couple of films too. This is tough, Charlotte. Um, my favorite film of all time is The Red Shoes. Um, but I don't think I want to be The Red Shoes. I wouldn't want to be The Red Shoes. I don't really want to j- jump off the balcony onto the train tracks. Um, <laughs> Spoiler alert. So, um, God, I think, you know what? I This is going to sound funny. I. My Fair Lady, or Pygmalion the Play, is my all-time favorite story. And the reason is not the songs or Audrey Hepburn or, or any of that. It's that it's the story of how the, the character of Eliza Doolittle changes her speech, yet she never loses her, her authenticity. And by changing her speech... She's heard more, mm. and and I feel that there is that that character is how would I say like uh, uh, a synthesis of of what I do. So call me Henry Higgins. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say that that's probably yeah that would probably be it. What Pig, a great question. Pygmalion by Bernard Shaw or My Fair Lady. A musical or without music? Yeah. Well, Henry Higgins. It's been a real pleasure. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you. Thank David. you. NAC Chat is produced with the support of the National Arts Club Board of Governors and Education Committee. Interviewers include Charlotte Kent, David Zyla, and Steve Cass. The NAC Chat logo is designed by Nadine Heidinger. The music is composed by Kevin Bernstein. All speakers are invited at the behest of our 16 arts committees. The National Arts Club is a members club and arts nonprofit whose mission is to stimulate, foster, and promote public interest in the arts and educate the American public in the fine arts. You can learn more at our website, nationalartsclub.org, and our Facebook and Instagram, at the National Arts Club. 